This morning's reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Dear Lord, <clears throat> this scripture from Isaiah is full of so much, so much meaning. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to understand partly what you were trying to say to us through your prophet. But by way of doing that, help us, Lord, to kind of go back in time for a little bit and help us, Lord, to, to kind of find ourselves on the shore of the Jordan River Help us to imagine what that was like to see all those people coming down and, uh, from all over, all over the countryside and John standing out in his camel hair and eating bugs and standing out waist deep in the river as the, as the river water was flowing by. People would come and he would, he would immerse them in the water and people would rise and, with such joy and and help us to imagine what it was like when Jesus came down. Maybe, maybe we see him across the way, across the river, and he's coming down, and, and he walks into the water, and he shows up next to John, and John just can't imagine that he would want to be baptized by, by him. And yet he submits to that baptism. Help us, Lord, to understand what that means for us today and, and how it's all connected with, with your prophet Isaiah. Lord, open your scriptures to us. Help us to understand. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, when Jesus was baptized by John, the fullness of God was present. If you, if you think about it, when Jesus comes down into that water and asks John to baptize him, the all, all the accounts in the Gospels tell of this, 
dove-like spirit that comes down. If, if you've, you've probably seen paintings and maybe, uh, maybe movies where literally they show a dove coming down and lighting on the shoulder or on the head of Jesus. Uh, whether or not that was meant to be literal or just kind of a metaphor of the spirit. But the point is the, the spirit was present with Jesus, the son. And then a voice comes out of heaven, which is ostensibly the voice of the creator. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all present there at his baptism. And this voice comes, and, and we, we find in the third chapter of Luke at least one account of what that voice says. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now, what's interesting about that, that voice and what is said is the formula, the, you know, kind of the... Um, you know, grammatical formula of that statement is a, almost a repeat of what we find in our passage from Isaiah today. In the 42nd chapter, the first verse, Isaiah is prophesying the coming of a Messiah centuries before Jesus. And he speaks on behalf of God these words. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. The formula of that, that phrase is almost identical to what we find not only in Luke but in the other gospels as well. That voice from heaven that speaks is, is almost repeating what was said centuries before through the prophet Isaiah. No wonder this passage of of. Isaiah 42 is our lectionary text, one of our lectionary texts. I uh, don't know if you're familiar with the, the lection, but basically it's a three-year cycle of readings from the Old Testament, the uh, Psalms, uh, a reading from the epistles, and a reading from the gospel. So there are four readings for every Sunday of the year for three years. So theoretically, if you followed the lectionary, you would get a really good spattering of the entire Bible. Now, some folks preach the lectionary all the time. That's, that's what they use. Um, I, I preach from the lectionary sometimes, and sometimes there, uh, we, we had a Bishop Pennell who talked about the lectionary of life, and so I don't always uh, follow the lectionary, but I am today. And I have often, this is what is called the baptism of the Lord Sunday. It's when we, when we remember the baptism of Jesus. And so often, it, for several years now, I've been preaching on the gospel lessons, but today I thought it would be good to look at Isaiah and no wonder, no wonder this passage in Isaiah is used because of this connection between the voice that we read at the baptism of Jesus and, and what Isaiah says on behalf of God in this 42nd chapter of Isaiah. Now, what's interesting is when, when Jesus begins his ministry now, you see up to this point, he's been doing nice things and healing people and that kind of thing, but he hasn't really kind of stood out publicly and said, you know, here I go. You know, I'm going to start my ministry. He does that in Nazareth where he grew up as a little boy. And he goes to Nazareth and he goes into the, into the synagogue and he stands up in front of the people and he says, hey, here, give me, give me a scroll. And he picks up the scroll of Isaiah. And we, we find in the fourth chapter of Luke the words that he reads. It's repeating the words in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then he goes on. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isn't it interesting? In our reading today, 42nd chapter, Isaiah, we find the words, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Sounds a lot like, doesn't it? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God's Spirit is, is upon me so that I might make a difference in some people's lives who need my difference. You see, clearly there's a connection between Isaiah's words and Jesus' ministry. It's very clear. I mean, he could have, he could have chosen words uh, from Hosea or from, uh, from Jeremiah, but no, he chooses from Isaiah, and it's Isaiah that, whose words are often repeated even by God the Creator at Jesus' baptism. For Jesus, his baptism is like a coronation, like a a beginning point where he's given the authority and the power to do what he says he's going to do when he stands before his friends in Nazareth. And it's all summarized, see, and up to this point, I've only been reading half of verse 1, two different times. Let me put it all together. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Well, I'd like to suggest this connection between Isaiah and Jesus is not just their connection, but it's our connection as well. I think we are connected with Isaiah. And we find that later on in uh, in our lesson this morning, if we look at verses 6 and 7. Now, up, up to this point, the first five verses, uh, Isaiah's kind of talking about the, this coming Messiah. So for us, it's Jesus. But then in verse 6, it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Did you hear those words? I've given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. Who's the you? It's not the Messiah now. I've given you to be a covenant. I've given you to be a light to the nations. He's talking to the people of Israel. That's who Isaiah is talking to. He's kind of laid the groundwork that a Messiah is coming and and this Messiah is going to bring forth justice. But by the way, I've given you a job as well. You're to be a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. That you happens today to be you and me. Now, when when we as United Methodists uh, step forward to be baptized or to join the church or uh, transfer from another Christian denomination or uh, to reaffirm our faith. Maybe we were baptized earlier and we want to reaffirm that faith. Um, or when we bring our own child to be baptized, we are asked three questions in particular, three questions. I want to read those questions because, you know, when we've had people join, we've gone through the questions, and it's very easy to just kind of, oh, it kind of goes in one ear and goes out the next. But let's take the first one. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Listen to that. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, 
Reject the evil powers of this world. I tell you, you cannot turn on your television or your radio or, or, or check your, your social media. You cannot even open your eyes in the morning without realizing there's evil all around us. There's wickedness. All you have to do is hear about the killings and the, and the racial injustice. And you, we can just go on and on. The evil in this world. And the question is, do you renounce this evil and do you repent of your part in it, in a sense? Do you repent of your sin? Do you turn around? Kind of like what John the Baptist was asking those who came down to the river to do. That was the first question. The second question, okay, second question is, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppressions, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I see the evil and, I, and I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's one thing. But where's the power coming to deal with that? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist that very evil that you've decided to reject? And then the third question is this. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. Wow. That's, you know, there's a lot in there. You should kind of take that home with you and go, wow, am, am, am I ready to do that? Am I, you know, it's one thing to confess Jesus as my Savior, but what about putting my whole trust in his grace and, and serving him as my Lord? And doing that in, in, in union, in connection, in partnership with other like-minded folks. In essence, when we are asked these three questions, we're really asked to affirm three things. And I want to kind of summarize very quickly. Number one, when, when we are asked the question about evil in the world, really we are asking to affirm there is evil in the world and we want to turn away from it. We want to turn around. We want to repent of it. In other words, we want to reject it. That's the first thing that we are affirming. We are affirming that, in fact, there's evil, and we don't want any part of it. Okay, that's the first thing we affirm. The second thing we affirm is that God gives us both the freedom and the power to do that, to reject this evil. It's one thing to say we're going to reject it, but do we believe God will give us the power to do it? We are affirming that God will give us the power to reject this evil in whatever form it presents itself. But, you know, think about it. That's good. Okay, here's evil. Don't want to have anything to do with it. God, thank you very much. You're going to help me get rid of it. Okay, that's one thing. But that's all kind of like negative. Where's the positive? The positive is in the third, third question, which has to do with what we are affirming. We affirm that we accept Jesus as our Savior, who's really kind of saved us from that, And we promise to serve him as our Lord. In other words, simply put, to follow him. It's not just simply, I'm not going to go down the bad path, but I have made a choice to go down the right path. I'm going to follow Jesus. When we answer these three questions, when we join the church or when we step forward to be baptized, when we answer them in the affirmative, we are accepting, in essence, Isaiah's call. Remember Isaiah's call is that we are to be a covenant people, covenant to the people, and we are to be a light to the nations. In other words, it, it's kind of like it, it reminds me of Abraham when he entered into a covenant with God. 
God said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. The blessing comes first, but there is also a response to that blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Now, I want to be clear about something. I want to be very clear about this. Baptism is a sign of God's grace. It is a gift. It is not something we earn. It is not something, if we're good enough, if we reject evil enough, if we repent enough, if we do all the right things, that then maybe we will earn God's grace. Ain't going to happen. We cannot earn it. It is a gift. That is precisely why when people wonder, why do you baptize babies? We baptize babies because God's grace is a gift. Just like a parent loves a child, that child doesn't have to do anything but poop in its diapers and, and you know, eat whatever you put in front of it. I mean, that, we love that child. The child doesn't do anything to, to earn that love. We just give it to them. And God loves us in the same way. God's love is unconditional. And baptism for us, as United Methodists at least, and I believe as Christians, baptism is a sign of that unconditional love of God. And we see it most clearly on the cross of Jesus. Now, our covenant, our covenant with God is our response to that grace. Think about the story, the parable of the prodigal son, remember? The father's love is extended to his two sons, one who works in the field and does all the right things, you know, probably was a churchgoer, you know. And the other one was a prodigal son. It was another son that just, you know, took his inheritance early, went out and squandered it and, you know, just kind of wasted his life. But the father loved both the sons equally. He loved them unconditionally. And that's why when the younger son realized how, what a mess he had made of his life when he returned, he found his father waiting for him with open arms. That's God's love, just waiting for us. Now, the problem is the elder son maybe didn't quite get it. The love was there just as much as it was for the, for the prodigal. But, but the elder son, he was so angry, but he wouldn't come into the party. He would not really accept that love because he had been working so hard to earn it and he couldn't understand why this, this son of his father, he couldn't even call him his brother, why he would receive such love and grace and forgiveness. I don't think it's an accident that we don't know what happens with the elder son. We don't know if he ever did change his mind, if he ever did come into the party, or if he just stayed in the field and never received the love that his father was offering him. I think it's no accident because I think that elder son represents us. We so often are the ones out in the field working so hard, being so good, trying to do the right thing. And we can't figure out why all those crazy people out there that are wasting their lives, how they, they, get, they get the blessings of God just like us. The water, you see, of our baptism is like the outpouring of that Father's love. It, it just it freely flows, covers us. The covenant that we make at our baptism is our response to that love. It's us coming to the party. 
It's the prodigal son finally coming to himself and going, oh my goodness, I didn't realize what wonderful love my father had for me. I thought, it was, I, thought I had to go out there and, and find happiness in life and I found out it wasn't out there. It was always back there. My father was always loving me. I, and, and so the son comes back. That's our covenant. That's our, that's our response, you see, to God's grace. So the question is, what should that response look like for us? In Nazareth, Jesus began to lay out the framework for what that response might look like. He says to the people gathered there, The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus, he was quoting from Isaiah and he was saying, this is what my ministry is all about. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about your neighbors. It's about even the people you can't stand. It's about the children of God. And what that means is if that's his ministry, if that's what he's saying he's all about, then if we want to serve him as our Lord, then we have to be committed to following him in that way. We must do the same. We must be like Isaiah said, a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. As Isaiah says in our passage of our lesson this morning, we must open the eyes that are blind, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from prison, those who sit in darkness. In other words, simply put, we must love as Jesus loved. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians to a church that was all messed up with with infighting. He said, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, And the greatest of these is love. And even the brother of Jesus, James, wrote in his letter, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. When I was seven years old, I was growing up in lower part of Alabama. Uh, L.A. is what uh, I think Paige calls it, lower Alabama, Mobile. Um, I was seven years old, and, and our church, I was, uh, our family was active in a, in a Baptist church, and uh, that we had a revival. I can still, don't remember a lot of the, I remember there was a tent and I remember there was sawdust and I can see my little feet going down the, down the aisle when I decided to turn my life over to Christ. Not, not that I hadn't already done that. It's just here was the time I wanted to do it publicly. And so the next Sunday evening uh, in the Baptist tradition, they, the church has a little baptismal pool Granted, I'm not very tall as it is, 
but when I was seven, I was a lot shorter, and I really had a hard time in that baptismal pool. I had to stand on my tiptoes to make it out into the water, and I, I really, I, I kid about this, but it's really not kidding. I almost drowned at my baptism, and and I think it's it's very appropriate because, you know, there are some Christian denominations today that they literally hold people under the water until they have to struggle for their breath. And they even do that. Some do it even with infants. Hold them under the water until they really start struggling. And the, and the reason for that is because baptism is meant to symbolize uh, sharing in the death of Christ so that we can share in the life of Christ. Now, does that mean that God wants us to commit suicide? No, absolutely not. Does it mean, you know, just, uh, you know, co- constantly, you know, beat yourself and that kind of, no, no, not at all. What it, what it, the, the death of Christ is the love of Christ. It's the suffering of Christ. It's the give, it's the self giving of Christ in the world. And so when we die to ourselves, we, we live by giving to others. It's, we, we live by the way we, we find life in, in loving others, sharing God's love with those around us, bringing good news to the poor, opening the eyes of the blind, and you know, setting people free from their prisons of loneliness and greed and even hate. That's, that's what we're called to do, you see. That's what Isaiah was talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's the way of Christ, you see. That's the way of our Lord. And that is our baptismal covenant. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for showering it upon us. But don't let us, uh, don't let us off the hook. It's wonderful that that love comes to us no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been. But, but Lord... We need to respond to it so that, so that we really can experience the fullness of that. So help us, Lord. Help us to enter into a covenant with you and agree to follow you wherever that takes us. Help us to remember our baptism by the way we live. Amen.